don't think it is at the moment. I'm just trying to do it. And that is the news from RTHK. of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Christine Choi, the Secretary for Education. Congratulations on the 95th anniversary of RTHK and many wishes for its future success. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Good morning, I'm Phil Whelan, and welcome to our Saturday Rewind programme, The Week on Three. It's the last one for a little while, but more about that later on. So, it's April the 15th, the day in history when the unsinkable Titanic sank, not sunk, McDonald's first gave us a burger of a different kind, and the amazing American jazz singer Bessie Smith was born in 1894, which, in a roundabout way, made me want to take you back to the golden age for today's overture. So, Easter Day on Radio 3 officially started bright and early with some chirpy, chocolatey class. Mainly third, mind you, from our very own teapot-toting, band leader to the stars and his mate. Today, it is Easter, so this is our special Easter show. Steve, did he get you Easter eggs? I'm still hunting for it. Uh. I know it's around here somewhere. I got my big chocolate one with all sweets inside. You know. Very nice. Oh, lovely. Spoiled. We're going to kick off with a song called I'm Putting All My Eggs in One Basket, sung by actress-dancer Ginger Rogers with Jimmy Dorsey in his orchestra. Love divided into won't do. So 
out on you. Putting all his eggs in one basket, that was Colin Aitchison. Join him tomorrow morning at 8.30 here on Radio 3 for more wonderful vintage chart toppers. Well, the music continued well into the holiday as on Monday morning, James Ross talked with the singing legend Kiki D and asked her the all-important question about how she ended up recording her massive feel-good hit with Elton John in 1976, of course, Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Well, by this time, I'd worked for two years with Rocket Records, and this song came up, and it was going to be a, a solo performance from Elton. And Gus Dudgeon, Elton's producer, said, you know, you, could, you should do this as a duet with Kiki, not just have her do some backing vocals on it. So Elton did a vocal in America and sent... I mean, I wish I had the recording. He sent over a, a version of him singing the song, his part, and doing my part in a higher voice. Oh, that, so would, be, going, that would be amazing to hear that, wouldn't it? That would be... I mean, how extraordinary. <laughs> and so I knew exactly which bits I was going to be singing. <laughs> I mean, you know, the irony of the whole thing is that we didn't take it that seriously. And, uh, you know, yeah, it'd probably be a hit and uh, we'll do this video, which took 20 minutes to make because Elton was touring and traveling so much. He was never in one place. So we had to pin down a video in case it charted. And, um, you know, who would have thought that that it would be still around today? I mean, I once did a questionnaire in a newspaper and the question was, don't go breaking my heart milestone or millstone interesting interesting, yeah and i wrote in reply it's 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 a milestone because it's propelled me into a position where people will always know my name although i don't do that kind of a show anymore in fact carmelo and i do a slowed down version of don't go breaking my heart and i sing the whole song but i stick to the melodies fairly closely and I always get the audience singing a little bit but it has a little bit more pathos but I'm very proud of it it's a really really great pop record it's made a lot of people happy and like I was saying you know we didn't take it that seriously and isn't that ironic that that should be the most popular the most powerful thing I've ever done when I wasn't really trying But sometimes the best things come out of that uh, that kind True. of uh, thing, doesn't it? I, I mean, it's a great radio record, and uh, you know, radio mm. stations around the world continue to play it because it's just such a such a, an upbeat, happy, uh, positive song. I guess that's what it is. Yeah. So, yeah. And it pays my bills. I'm sure it does. Yes, I didn't you. write it, but I get performance royalties, so it pays my bills.
Don't Go Breaking My Heart, Elton John, Kiki D, and of course James Ross. You're listening to The Week on 3 this Saturday morning as we bring you a few more ready-packaged choice cuts from the past six days on air. As you'll know by now, our daily business and finance show, Money Talk, has grown. Two for one. Now that means we can now bring you more bits and pieces that are specifically useful to you and your purse. Every weekday morning, after the 8.30 news, Carolyn Wright presents a cool little segment called Your Money, through which all sorts of experts share their knowledge of personal finance. You know, when to start saving, how to avoid getting ripped off, and so on. Well, last Tuesday, Carolyn chatted to Bill Lee. Bill's the managing director for Hong Kong at Jobs DB, and they talked about what recruiters can do to make negotiating with talent a smoother process for all. We are seeing an interesting gap between Hong Kong respondents' perceived bargaining power versus their actual bargaining power. So a bit of context for the listeners out there is that you know, recently we did a global talent survey together with BCG and the network, and there were about 90,000 respondents, and Hong Kong contribute, contributed about 2,000. And from that, we saw that 68% of Hong Kong respondents felt that you know, they were approached multiple times a year. And however, only 6% of them feel they have all the power in a negotiation versus employers, significantly lower than a global average of 19%. And we feel there are a couple of reasons behind Hong Kong job seekers perceive, you know, somewhat, you know, inferiority. Number one, we feel that number um, there's a cultural tendency to respect authority and seniority. Perhaps because, you know, we live in a culture where, you know, we are afraid to negotiate harder. When an offer is being made, we kind of think that's the ceiling and we don't really push beyond that. Number two, perhaps there's a fear of lost opportunity. There's a perception that this is a very, you know, competitive job hunting market. Um, the truth is actually the other way around, like, you know, that um, is actually a, a, a job seekers market right there, right? So perhaps, you know, if they hear about this broadcast, then they may have changed, they may change their mind, right? And thirdly, perhaps, you know, they're already thinking ahead to their post-career onboarding. There's a reluctance, therefore, to push too hard nego during negotiation because they may seem as though, you know, they are um, going against their prospective future manager, right? And that may affect their future promotion chances, etc. So that's, I think, would be the reasons. So actually, it sounds like people should be less scared about negotiating harder to get what they want. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, that's what the survey is telling us. That's what the global respondents are confident. But for some reason, Hong Kong respondents aren't. And hopefully, you know, they should be. Yeah. So do you think uh, recruiters could change their behaviour to help people feel more comfortable in having those kind of discussions? Absolutely. I think... In this current day and age, especially in the current market environment, um, competitive remuneration, um, sexy titles, as well as comprehensive packages are just table stakes, right? So I think employers and hirers just need to do more to attract the best talents. And we have a couple of valuable pro tips here, right? Number one, you know, would be A, um, hirers should be looking to create job ads with clarity and honesty. And in particular, I think in Hong Kong, it probably is best if they can to provide a salary range in the job description because that's something that job seekers are looking for. And traditionally in Hong Kong, you know, hires are generally more reluctant to basically do that. Number two is that um, employ recruitment process matters. Like, you know, employers and hires tend to overlook this and think that, you know, if I make a good offer, 
then perhaps it's not important for me to do follow-up. But we found that through the survey, about 65% of them, of Hong Kong respondents, say it's an honest conversation during recruitment is the number one way for hires to stand out. And I think this is because recruitment process is actually the first time a prospective job seeker has an opportunity to meet somebody from the organization in person. And that basically is the first impression in this lasting impression. And about, you know, um, 52% says if during that process there's a negative job, ex negative recruitment experience, they would probably turn down an otherwise attractive off offer. And that's really critical. And the last pro tip I have for the hirers out there is that only in Hong Kong, 42% of Hong Kong respondents say if the hiring manager actually takes up the phone, picks up the phone, makes a phone call and try to convince that candidate, he or she is more likely to join that company. Carolyn Wright was talking with recruitment expert Bill Lee on last Tuesday's Money Talk. You can hear the programme every weekday morning at 8.05 and Carolyn joins in after the 8.30 news with your money. Maybe you've got an idea for her or maybe you're one of those experts too. Do get in touch via Money Talk's Facebook page if you like, that's easiest. Another thing that happened on Easter Day wasn't so happy. Hong Kong's favourite and much-loved king of comedy, Richard Ng, passed away, sadly, at the age of 83. But what a life. The most recognisable man in local film, well, he took his last bow. He appeared in 80 movies, making millions of people all over the world laugh and smile, and he'll be so sadly missed. The perfect person to remember Richard's life is Hong Kong film expert and historian Sam Ho. And he did that on yesterday's Back Chat. A very versatile actor, and of course he's best known for being uh, a, a, a comedian uh, in the many uh, comedies that he starred in and or played in uh, in the 1980s. Um, probably the most famous, and actually the film that put him on the map, uh, was the film uh, Winners and Sinners, which was uh, uh, a, a franchise that started in 1976. It's an ensemble film featuring five comedians, and it, was, it quickly became a classic and gave birth to a series, uh, a very profitable, productive, and very funny series. And he, since then, had appeared in a lot of comedies, several other series, uh, but also in other films, and in drama and in uh, action films. So it's a great actor and a great comedian. And you mentioned Winners and Sinners, and that's actually um, where he got his first nomination for Best Actor, right, at the yes. Hong Kong Film Awards. Yes, yes. He was, that uh, was the film that he got his first uh, nomination for. I mean, of course, it's, he has a memorable scene in the film in which he appeared naked, stark naked, because his character imagined himself to be invisible. Of course, uh, he, he was not invisible, but the other four co-stars uh, kind of tricked him into believing that if he takes off all his clothes, he'll be invisible. So he actually walked around naked, and it's, it's a very, very funny scene, and uh, he was totally comfortable in doing that. Let's remember it was 1970, when was male nudity was not that common. So would this have been one of the first male nudity on uh, on local TV? Hello, hello, I, I cannot hear. You. This, would, would this have been one of the first local um, male nudity on local TV in that case? You were saying it was in the 1970s. Oh, it was a film. It was 
was a non a uh, not a television show. So so yeah, yeah, male nudity on is even rare in uh, in TV today. Right, and later on, I mean, um, I was doing a bit of research, and also um, later on, I know he was also nominated for for another award uh, for his uh, performance in uh, Beyond the Sunset. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's actually a a, a more of a uh, less of a comedy, but it is a um, a drama film, and he 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 did very well. I mean, one reason for him uh, to be so popular and so loved. Uh, because of it's because of his formal training in theater in the UK, because he went to UK, uh, I think to attend high school, uh, and then uh, uh, graduating to dental school at the UK. But I think uh, he dropped out of dental school to study theater because he he, he knew that uh, being a dentist uh, uh, would not be something he enjoyed the rest of his life. And uh, because of that, because of his formal training uh, in theater, um, he is actually a very accomplished actor. And he was able to be understated in his uh, acting, especially in, uh, in, uh, in his comedies. Because if we know, because in Hollywood, uh, in comedy duels, you know, they usually they team a straight man with a funny man. And the straight man always got paid more. Because straight men are more difficult to play, and uh, Richard Ng is kind of the Hong Kong version of the straight man, funny man. So he really chose the right career. Then he gives up dentistry, and then when he goes into um, acting, he he chooses the um, the so the the the, uh, the the role that's going to get you paid more. Oh yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely, yeah. I mean, but of course, he started in just regular dramas in the UK, um, but he uh, uh, he went back to Hong Kong actually, and. Uh, to to uh, and started a, uh, a hairstyling business in Hong Kong with his wife, um, and his wife was a well-known uh, hairstylist. And I think uh, the legend has it that his wife actually uh, did Bruce Lee's hair, <laughs> and it was through that connection that uh, uh, Richard Ng uh, got to know some uh, showbiz. Uh, showbiz people and was introduced to uh, first in television and then later on to the film. That was movie historian Sam Ho with the guys on yesterday's Back Chat, remembering the wonderful Richard Ung. Every weekday on our programme, especially for students, The Common Room, Alison Howe likes to inspire her listeners by interviewing lots of role models and getting them to tell their cool stories. Well, this week in Off Campus... She's been talking to someone with an incredible story. She's a cartoonist, the creator of the popular pilot cat character, Christina Meow, and oh, she's a commercial pilot herself. I'm talking about Christina Ho, who, as you're about to hear, wasn't what you'd call a model student. But, you know, how things can change with a bit of effort. A lesson for us all. When I was the kid, I'm very slow. Uh, <laughs> yes, very slow kid. And I, I eat very slow. I do things very slow. I live in my little own world. Um, and I always ask why. So my mom, like my parents, always get annoyed by me of asking all these questions because they think that, oh, 
because they're very traditional Chinese family and they just think that oh good kids supposed to be quiet especially I'm a girl I supposed to be quiet right. go with the flow don't walk the boats that is perfect but then I just always ask why did she do that and why why this happened and stuff like that and um, but there is one thing that I can remember um, that can make me eat faster which is uh, when my grandmother because my parents have to go to work and then so my grandmother taking care of me she lives in uh, Kowloon City and you know that uh, used to be the the airport is at Kowloon City right right and then uh, her balcony actually have a washing machine that she normally put me on and uh, on top of it and then just say oh open your mouth and I normally don't do what she's told but when I see a little plane blown by and doing pickup landing and I just wow and then she would just tuck in the, the food in me and I would just swallow it so I guess I just loved planes when I was young but I just didn't know it wow uh, but they told me about this story when I after I grow up and I thought oh maybe I really like planes <laughs> my goodness that's like Kids nowadays will be sitting in front of a TV, but you just wanted to watch planes fly. Yes, yes, I wasn't like, I. but at that moment, like at, when I was younger, it's not like uh, kids now, they have like iPads and stuff. That's true. But uh, that is the only thing that can make me move. But uh, when I grow up a little bit um, as a teenager, um, I think I'm I quite behave because I quite knowing my parents' um, expectation um, and studying in a good school and then think my parents always think that I will be a teacher or I'll be um, working in an office. She emphasized it has air conditioning and this <laughs> is your perfect life that you can have. But then, um, no, I, I guess I still have my rebellious in, in, in my heart that I have something that I really like. Um, then I applied for that scholarship. I went for art um, and then studied fashion design as a major when I was in um, back in university. So I guess, um, yeah, <laughs> that is, I don't know how to describe myself, but is always a person that have a lots of curiosity about life wow and thinking like it's so good and have some so many things that i can try i can only imagine convincing your parents that you're going to become a fashion designer was already task number one and then leaving that behind and moving on to become a pilot that must have been another big negotiation yeah because my my mom said just like in the beginning of this week you mentioned about um we see Cabin crew a lot, yes. like flight attendants a lot. And I mean, kind of knowing what they do. Mm. But then as a pilot, it's kind of like close the door. And then you, my mom even said, I don't even know what they're doing. So, and no family members are in aviation. So it makes her anxious about what, what is my daughter doing? Why she's not getting married and have kids <laughs> and, and, and why she's uh, working full time but studying at nighttime, like uh, night class or a weekend, and still waking up on Sunday and go to church and stuff like that. She just wonders so much about my life. Mm. But then um, I guess um, time can tell, and and she starts to know that um, I know what I'm doing. I guess. <laughs> Which, bearing in mind several things, is pretty good to hear, right?
Well, that was pilot, cartoonist and Hong Kong's success story, Christina Ho, talking to Alison on Thursday's Common Room. Actually, that was only part of their chat. If you want to hear the rest, which was spread over the whole week, then go to the Common Room's page via Radio 3's homepage. Well, it's nearly time to say goodbye, and as I said at the beginning, this will be the last week on 3 for a little while, as next week we'll start a new 12-part series called Lion Rockers. Each week at this time, Noreen Mir will be chatting with a well-known person of the Lion Rock of... Hong Kong, about their early years, their work, their hopes, their thoughts, their lives. So for now, one final tea break from our friend Steve James. His time machine this week landed on Thursday, which gave him a great excuse to play us the perfect Saturday morning song. Have a great day. From me, Phil Whelan, goodbye. <laughs> The factories may be roaring with the boom-a-lack-a-zoom-a-lack-a-boom-a-lack-a-zoom-a-lack. But there isn't any roar when the clock strikes four. Everything stops for tea. Oh, they may be playing football. They may be. And the crowd is yelling, kill the referee. Murder the referee. But no matter what the score when the clock strikes four. Right. Everything stops for tea. Okay, it's time for our tea break this afternoon. A little bit biased on my side, but let's check out... Uh, some of the birthdays going on. Just warm up here, hang on. This is a little feet song that I did on my record. Uh, this day, 1975, Lou Bega was born. Fancy a little Mambo number? No. Uh, Max Weinberg's birthday today. American a drummer, television personality with the uh, Bruce Springsteen's uh, E Street Band. Born this day, 1951, Peter Bryson. Class. Al Green's birthday, as I mentioned earlier on in the program, born 1946. However... I'm focused on this day, 1945, Lowell George was born. American songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, record producer, highly respected gentleman. Lowell George is from one of my all-time favourite bands, Little Feet, who had two top 40 albums during the 70s, but they actually recorded loads of them. They're best known for the songs Dixie Chicken and Sailing Shoes, but among the fans, this is one of their greatest hits. All That You Dream, it's called. It's being sung here together with special guest Linda Ronstadt. It's what?